1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate. Teach. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Something strange happened when we turned the calendar to 2024. We kind of ran out of sellers. Sell, sell, sell. Now, before you call me an idiot when the market starts going down, let me just say I am approaching this thing retrospectively. I simply want you to understand how insanely different this market is from almost any other market I can recall. I'm talking about a total lack of analogies to anything I've ever seen. I've been prowling these canyons on Wall Street now for a four than, more than 40 years. Sure, today was this date session with the Dow Advanced 141 points, as it gained 0.23%, NASDAQ inch point. It's a 0.07%. Really, nothing going on. But keep in mind, there are so many reasons that we should be going down. The Federal Reserve brutally raised interest rates, something that should have crushed the economy. Normally, we'd be knee-deep in a recession with bankruptcies all over the place. Except we get one, Bright Aid. You'd expect companies to lay off tons of workers in order to stay solvent, right? <laughs> Instead, highly profitable outlets like Amazon, Meta, or Spotify just fire people to boost their earnings, and it works! Meanwhile higher rates did nothing to slow the rising cost of housing principal locus by the way of inflation besides food which also was immune to rate hikes but not to Costco and Walmart oh and by the way congratulations to Rich Glanty, the longtime CFO of Costco who's been more effective holding down the costs for food for you than any central bank on earth and he's now headed for retirement rich we wish him the best of luck in fact housing still up more than 35 percent in value since 2019 despite a doubling in mortgage rates. Now, that's not supposed to happen either. Normally, when rates go this high, you end up with a housing glut that only gets worse as the builders are forced to cut prices in order to unload excess inventory. Well, we still got a housing shortage, though. So the Fed's rate hike slowed the pace of inflation, but the cost of living remains much higher than it was before the pandemic, as we know from a frustrated McDonald's, which talked about prices being too high for many of its consumers. In other words, higher rates didn't bring out stock sellers, as they have every time, save for two short periods in the 90s. Or more likely, they may have brought out the sellers in 2022 and parts of 2023. But at this point, perhaps because the Fed's on hold with its next move to cut, the sellers have run out of ammo. Second, when you have a slowdown, you got a hedge fund playbook that says you got to dump, dump, dump the transport and the machinery sell, 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 stocks. They're supposed to be untouchable in this environment. But have you seen them lately? Led by the bedraggled United Parcels today, the whole group is on the move. Union Pacific and CSX at fifty-two week highs. JB Hunt, huge trucker, is there? It, it's there too. It's knocking on the door of an all-time high list. How the heck is that possible unless there's simply no one who wants to sell them that badly, or they're all owned by index funds? Or I consider the case of machinery maker Caterpillar. If you go back to when it last reported, I made an impassioned defense of the stock right here, which we owned for the which we owned at that point for the Chapel Trust. I was in disbelief that people were selling Cat down at two hundred and eight because of some. Shadow boxing about inventory. The sellers were blitzing the darn thing. Daylight pres- daylight precision. Nighttime saturation bombing, you name it. And then the buyers overwhelmed the sellers as the stock rallied and then rallied and rallied from its lows. The shorts dug in their heels, but when we saw the earnings yesterday, they were fantastic. And we realized that CAT's business had been de-cyclicalized. Yeah, that's kind of like no more cyclical. Its biggest customers aren't China residential housing. They're oil and gas and data centers. America's the biggest maker of data centers and the biggest oil producer in the world, least exporter in the world. Both are growing by leaps and bounds. So the stock closed at 322 and changed today. Up from two hundred eight, not bad. Third, we have what looked like a gigantic bubble going on in artificial intelligence. I've never seen an inflated and overstimulated concept, and I say that as someone who's believed in AI and generative AI all the way. And a champion, of Nvidia, as an own-it, don't trade it stock for ages. The conventional wisdom said true believers in AI would eventually be left holding the bag as the whole house of cards collapse. But it didn't happen. Sure, it still might. However, we've no, now seen a run in these stocks of biblical proportions. <laughs> NVIDIA was at 210 a year ago, now it's at 682. Super Michael Jason Player is already up close to 140% just this year to date. AMD was at $83 a year ago, now it's 168 Ladies and gentlemen, these moves are simply insane. History says these AI stocks should have been obliterated by now. But what are you going to do with NVIDIA if it reports the largest upside surprise in history, a $4 billion blast to the upside? The upside. No wonder anything connected with NVIDIA has been going bonkers. Then yesterday, just when you think it's all over, Goldman Sachs points out that the second half of the year could be incredibly strong for NVIDIA. Customers are nowhere near saturation. Why? Because Amazon, Meta, and Microsoft can't get enough of NVIDIA's chips. Hey, last month, Mark Zuckerberg from Meta talked about spending billions to buy 350,000 NVIDIA graphics cards. He'd like to buy more. So, would virtually any company in the enterprise space. It wasn't even clear what he needed the stockpile for. It didn't seem to matter. It was viewed as smart for both sides. And now we're starting to hear of those chips being put to work. The nascent uses for generative AI are summations for quick reading of things you never get through, of course, without it. Real-time suggestions to people in call centers, or make it easier to fill out triplicate forms on loans, or how to calculate the cost of insurance down to the second, or the generation of stories, or the creation of digital storefronts for small businesses. That's just the beginning. In short, not only is AI not a bubble, the short sellers who bet against it, well, they just got
2: steamrolled.
1: I know big tech was down today, but I think they're just taking a breather after an unsustainable parabolic move. We have temporary swoons where money rotates to other sectors. Today it was the drugs and materials, two groups that rarely go up in tandem. But those rotations only tend to last a couple days. Oh, and I can't wait for those who describe Apple's Vision Pro as a non-needle moving boutique product to get hoisted on their own AirPods. Fourth, the total chaos in Washington is not breeding sellers. (laughs) Not. Nobody seems to care about the toxic danger of the capital or the inability to get anything done in Congress. We always say gridlock's good for the market, but that can be hard to remember at the moment. And we may have an immigration crisis at the border, but that's not a problem for the stock market. If anything, more immigration is good for the market because it brings brings down the cost of labor. Finally, China, it's become an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> China used to be the growth engine in the world. Almost every company came over there, and they got embedded in our system. But when things got terrible, the coziness ended. Sure enough, the American stocks with pathetic China exposure have all been hit. More on that later. Yet today, they're all coming back, like China stopped mattering. Now that they're going to push sellers into some unknown way, we don't know what they're going to do. Now we have some outliers always do. The banks are reacting to the weakness in New York Community Bank Corp, which bit off a little bit more than they can chew in and bought Signature, something regulators probably should have prevented, but they weren't doing their job. We know that the drug stocks are up today, but we've seen so many days that we just had three-day moves in the drug stocks. I don't trust them, other than Eli Lilly, which took a break today and reversed down nearly 40 points from its high. Tomorrow can rebound. Oil's having a nice run, but that's because BP put up some good numbers. Please. Too much of a glut there. So, the bottom line, last year, we would have seen sellers coming out of the Woolbrook when on all the moves I just mentioned, weighing, if not knocking down stocks. Now, though, I think the short sellers have been obliterated, and almost everyone who wants to sell seems to have already gotten out. That's how you get such a strong stock market despite a not-so-hot environment. Perhaps only higher prices will produce the sellers that seem to have vanished, or maybe, just maybe, they've been vanquished. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Jeffrey in Massachusetts. Jeffrey. Hey, Jim. What's going on, man? Well, I don't know. I like the action today. I liked it a lot. A lot of cool places. What's happening? Not much, buddy. I, I'm just calling tonight because I need some help on Builders First Source. I bought it at 29 and since then, it's shot up almost 500%. Can you give me advice on whether to... Hold I, on to it. I, I was just telling my fantastic, unbelievable, incredibly staff, could we please get Builders First Source on uh, on the show? I mean, this is just crushing me. Guys, listen to me. Dave, why don't you come on the show? I like your store. I've been mean, the new ones. They look terrific. Builders First Source, you do not touch that one, Jeffrey, because that one is what we call an upstock. I think we should go to Ann in Indiana. Ann.
3: Okay, Jim. Thanks. I'm a club member. Thank you. But I need a lifeline. I just feel confused lately. And one of the things I feel confused about you had talked about consumer or enterprise stocks at this stage of the game. Right. So I I'm a little concerned about Stanley Black & Decker, or do I just have to be patient?
1: Okay, this is just a great question from a club member, and thank you so much. We're looking forward to seeing all the club members for our meeting. Here's the problem with Stanley Black & Decker. It's the one stock we have that needs rate cuts. We decided to have one that needed rate cuts, so if we get rate cuts, the thing goes to 120. This one is going to mark time. Mark time, and until we get the rate cuts, so don't mind. It's just what has to happen. Last year, we would have had sellers all over the place, given the environment. The checklist I gave you, but now I think most short sellers have obliter- been obliterated, and anyone else—I mean, I don't know—who's left to sell other than index funds? Maybe like tonight. Ever since interest rates peaked in October, stocks like Simon Property who have been able to make a comeback. So what should you make of the high-end mall owner and operator up here? Don't miss my exclusive for the CEO, very rare. Then Kramer fave Chipotle reported after the bell, and I'm running through all the headlines for the quarter with the company's top best. And after a mixed quarter this morning, what should you make of Carrier Global? As the company continues to make some major portfolio changes, I'm checking in with the CEO, so stay with Kramer.
4: miss a second of mad money follow at jim kramer on x have a question tweet kramer hashtag mad mentions send jim an email to mad at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC miss something head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
3: take your business further with a smart and flexible american express business gold card
5: NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
1: After roaring November, December, the high-yielding real estate investment trust has spent most of the 2024 trading sideways as long-term interest rates rebounded from their lows. Remember, it's the bond market that's the real competition for these dividend stocks. Last night, though, Something might have changed when Simon Property Group, the leading owner and operator of high-quality mall properties, reported an excellent quarter, with funds from operations, the read equivalent of earnings, coming in much higher than expected. And even though Simon's guidance for this year was, uh, let's call it a little conservative, the stock still roared up nearly 5% today to 143 bucks. That's up more than 30 bucks from where it was trading back when I recommended it on November 1. So can this stock keep climbing, this conservative stock? Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with David Simon. He's the legendary chairman, president, and CEO of Simon Property Group on its 30th anniversary. Take a look. Mr. Simon, welcome to Mad Money. Congratulations on 30 incredible years in the business.
2: Well, th- thank you, Jim. We uh, we went public a little over 30 years ago, and, uh, you know, we've dealt with a lot, obviously, Uh um we've prospered during that period of time, and we have uh, very proud of the organization and the uh, company that we're, we're, we've built and that we're still building. So uh, a lot to look forward to.
1: Well, you're too humble because you've increased from $424 million to nearly $5.7 billion, uh, and, and for revenues, and you've paid out over $42 billion to shareholders in dividends at a time when many people felt that the mall was dead.
2: Yeah, that's that. That's the the best stat uh, to uh, contradict the narrative that's out there. That's not to say that, you know, uh, properties don't change. Um, certain certain malls have uh, obviously uh, become obsolete or gone out of business, but the good uh, properties have have really prospered. I mean take roosevelt field where um it's 60 years old the day it does north of 100 million dollars of uh of uh, net operating income and it's always evolving and changing and there's just no way that anybody that visits that center would come away with the conclusion that the malls are dead so 40 42 billion dollars in cash to shareholders speaks louder than any words that I'm going to say.
1: Now, there is a paradigm, too, that you talk about in your annual that is extraordinary. There's a place called Phipps in Buckhead. I've not been there, unfortunately, but that sounds like the new mall for people who think that, wait a second, I don't think that an enclosed mall has a place these days.
2: Well, that that was a great example. So we had a, um, a Belks department store that was underperforming. We took back the department store we uh, created an open air plaza built an office building built a nobu hotel with a nobu restaurant and a lifetime fitness resort uh, that's uh, that's terrific and uh, and a food hall so all in that uh, one area that was uh, occupied by belk's department store we ended up creating kind of a whole unique environment and it's not only helped that part of the uh of the shopping center but it's also created a lot of momentum for us to bring in you know the best of the best retailers um and a lot of luxury um a lot of the luxury players have all committed there. hermes is opening in in a few months here in the spring so uh that's a great example another another center that's been around a long time but it's in a great catchment area great uh, real estate. And that as long as you've got the capital and the intellectual uh, firepower to figure out what to do with it, you can uh, create a lot of value.
1: Now, when I go to your website, there's a terrific video and it becomes very clear to me while watching it. And you tell a story, but you tell it in a beautiful way that uh, retailers need brick and mortar, including online retailers who may have gotten ahead of their skis, not realizing how important brick and mortar really is? Well,
2: it, it, it is clearly the best return on investment. So uh, and it's so brand positive when they open a store and uh, they're actually their online sales go up when they when they open a store in a new area. And in fact, if they close that store, what what the research has told told the retailers and told us is when they close a store, they lose uh, internet sales in that in that trade area. So it's really beneficial. Online line pickup and store uh, is huge. Returns are important to the consumer. Um, and we've had a lot of D2C uh, retailers that started online, but they're all moving towards stores. And that's a really important component of their growth you know people like uh, Viori and Aloe and and Warby Parker, great retailers, great brands, uh, but they also understand the importance of their physical footprint.
1: Now, on the website, you can see that they have Mills, they have Outdoor, and then Southeast Asia, where apparently they are very excited about what Simon's bringing.
2: Well, you know, I always, I always. Uh, Besides the $42 billion of dividends, the one of the things I like to tell people is we're one of the few companies that can build at the same time in Jakarta, Indonesia, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they're both very important to us, but it gives you a sense of the breadth and depth of the company that we're able to, to do that. We have a great international outlet business in Korea and Japan uh, and, um, and Malaysia. At the same time, we love building shopping centers in in oklahoma so it just gives you a sense of the the scale of the business and something
1: that we're proud of. All right, and, Dave, lastly, I want to go full circle. Uh, there's a terrific discussion uh, that I've never heard from anyone else on your conference call about the idea that, you're, that your yield's too high, and that has to do with the fact that the stock belongs higher, particularly because of what you're doing at ABG, and we know Stoller very well. He's terrific. And what you're doing just in terms of raising the dividend repeatedly, because it's something we've come to expect from Simon.
2: Well, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the reality is when you look at either the S&P 500 or even uh, the REIT industry, we have a high yield, but yet we have a, a very low payout ratio, and we have an, um, an A-rated balance sheet from uh, S&P. So when you put it all together, we think our stock ought to be higher, and therefore our yield lower. Um uh, because we're producing cash flow growth uh, with a great balance sheet. We have $11 billion of liquidity. Uh, but listen, it's our job to, you know, to tell the story about why our our company ought to be valued more. So um, we'll keep raising the dividend. The $42 billion that we've paid out will increase. We pay out, Jim, about $2.7 billion a year in, in cash dividends. Um but yet we still generate about a billion and a half dollars of excess cash flow that we can plow back in to grow our earnings and therefore grow our business. So we respect the REIT model uh, about the payout. And um, we just think people uh, uh, ultimately will begin to value it a little greater than they have in the past. But it's we're even though we've been public for 30 years, we're more than prepared to... Uh, you know, you know, um, show the world that we can keep growing our company.
1: Well, and I know I, it's your job to tell the story, but I feel it's also my job. I, after doing the work I once again felt, and this time I'm serious, I gotta put this in my charitable trust. I need, some, I need consistency, I need yield. And I think that Simon is probably of the stocks I look at my, in my portfolio, Simon would have the best of both. David Simon is the chairman, President and CEO of Simon Property Group, the symbol is SPG. I urge you to go to the website. It is transparent as any that I've ever seen. Thank you so much, David, for coming on Mad
2: Money. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. See you soon.
1: Mad Money's back here for break.
4: Coming up, earnings are in for this fast, casual guac star. Find out what's cooking this quarter with the Chipotle CEO
3: next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed.
1: I always get squeamish when a stock comes into earnings season with a full head of steam, like Kramer-Fave Chipotle, which has soared more than 40% from its October lows to an all-time high yesterday. As much as I like this company, how does anybody deliver results that are strong enough just by such a major move? Well, that is exactly what Chipotle did tonight when it turned in a flawless fourth quarter with much better-than-expected same-store sales of 8.4% year-over-year, a clean revenue beat, and a sizable 65-cent earnings beat of a $9.71 basis. Management also gave you a solid full-year forecast, so no wonder the stock is roaring in after hours trading. And I don't think it's done. And I've been saying that since the stock was at $300. It's now north of $2,500. How'd they pull it off? Hey, why don't we go straight to the source with Brian Nickel? He's the bankable chairman and CEO of Chipotle Mexican Grill. You had a better read in the quarter, Mr. Nickel. welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Great to be back. Well, look, you've got uh, up and down. The numbers are fantastic. Impressive all the way. I want to start at the top, though. Your comparable restaurant sales, wow, 8.4. Now, comps had from 10.9 down to 7.4 in second quarter, 23, to 5 in third quarter, 23. How do you explain this reacceleration? Because it's rather dramatic.
6: Yeah, what I'm really excited about, too, is that that comp is driven by transactions. Uh, You know, our transactions were up 7.4 percent. And really, it's a testament to uh, our operators getting back to executing great throughput, great fundamentals, great culinary. And uh, I think we've been rewarded with... uh, some terrific
1: results. Yeah, you're the only one I know. I mean, I probably every restaurant. I couldn't believe it. I said, yes, this is going to be an easy interview. At last, it wasn't just done <laughs> by price. But I have to tell you, you probably had to think long and hard about price because, look, McDonald's, which you know very well, of course, they they took too much price. And you saw that it really hurt them. How about the balancing act? How do you know what to charge?
6: You know, look, it's obviously been a really tricky environment over the last two years with all the inflation that we've had to deal with uh, labor challenges, so on and so forth. But I think what we've always stay focused on is we want to provide a great value to our customers. And what we hear back time and time again is when we do great culinary, terrific speed, terrific customization uh, at the prices we've been able to maintain. We're really affordable. uh, And folks view us as a terrific value. So we keep a really close eye on that. And uh, I think you're seeing that in our transactions as a result of it. Um, And, you know, obviously, we want to onward continue to drive this idea of, hey, look, when you want great culinary, clean food exactly how you want it, we're the place for that. And uh, I think that's what's what's really resonated.
1: And the speed. I mean, you're doing three million average unit five now in 20. Look, just a few years ago, you're doing two. And now you're talking about doing four. I I just honestly, I don't know how you're going to do four. I mean, that's just an unbelievable, an unbelievable stretch goal. Yeah, look, I I think we're really
6: delighted that we got past our three million average unit volume goal. Uh, That was a a target that we wanted to achieve. Obviously, we believe we can get to four million. And it's because of what you just said, Jim. We believe if we can hit our throughput, uh, we can get to 4 million average unit volumes without having to add another day part. It really is around executing great food at lunch and dinner and moving people through the line quickly. We know when the line is moving, people stay in the line. When the line slows down, people walk away from the line. So we're, we're going to drive harder and harder towards getting great throughput.
1: Oh boy, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think people don't understand throughput is. That, look, that's the nectar of the gods, and it's the hardest thing to do. Now, I have to understand, when I go to my Chipotle, I don't go to the Chipotle. Why? Because sometimes I have to be, I say, oh, give me a little extra this, a little extra that. I'm not alone. I hear the guy in front of me say it and the person behind it. But the, the when I look at the digital, it's going down uh, 36.6 to 36.1, and, you know, ever since the pandemic. Is this other people like me who actually just frankly like to be in the store?
6: Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is the digital experience has been is probably better than it's ever has been. You know, we're more on time, we're more accurate, and we continue to give people great experiences on that front. What we hear time and time again, though, is exactly what you said, Jim, is when they can come into the restaurant, they see the food, it's moving quickly, they can do exactly what you said, like, hey, how about a little more rice, or you know, go a little heavier on the cheese, They appreciate that one-to-one relationship where they can get exactly a bowl that they want, which you can't do in the app. And, uh, you know, what, our team members do a great job of getting people what they want, I kind of joke, our guys are always finding ways to say yes. And I think that's a powerful
1: experience when you're moving down the line with us. I've only been met with a smile when I ask. I have to admit, I do ask, what can I say? Now, this number of new restaurants, (laughs) your long-term goal of 7,000, I remember when it was six, I remember it was five, you feel you have that much room, huh?
6: Yeah, look, you know, we really do believe we can double the restaurant count to seven thousand. Uh, and the way we get to that is just, you know, kind of using really simple analysis. We we look at our highest penetrated markets, like in Ohio, where we continue to add restaurants, and if we just replicate that across the country, we quickly get to seven thousand. So we view it as a conservative number, and we view it as something that's very feasible in the long term.
1: At the same time, Brian, I know you you folks care passionately about management who's on the make line, can you really find that many great people who can meet Chipotle's standards?
6: You know, uh, look, I think one of the things that's been really powerful for us, Jim, is we have held ourselves to a very high standard. And people like to be a part of an organization, frankly, that has high standards, and also is a growing organization. So we've got the lowest turnover we've seen in years. Our our general manager turnover is now in the low 20s. Uh, Our crew level turnover is, you know, in the low 100s. Um, so we're seeing a lot of stability on our teams. The other thing that I'm really excited about is these teams are where we're promoting people. So we're going to promote over 20,000 people, uh, in this past year, 90% of our general manager positions are from internal promotions. So people are really excited about joining our team, not only because of the purpose that we have, but also because of the growth that they can experience with our company. So we're having we're, we're pretty fortunate right now. We're able to attract and retain the right people that buy into our purpose and our standards.
1: That, that's fantastic. It's Costco-like. I don't know many other places where you can just go and just grow and grow and grow and start from a terrific position, but just keep moving up. Now, one last thing. You said that was important. I find that what's important is the must-visit restaurant guide to impress dates on Valentine's Day. Now, I'm way past this period. This does, this list does not really help me, this nature lover, Sedona, Arizona. But there are many people who are, let's say, have great commonality among each other because they like Chipotle. Just give us a little sense of of the fact that 2.4 times more likely to strike up a conversation. That seems like a great ethos for Chipotle to live by.
6: Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, what I'll tell you is the number of people, whether you can make it to Sedona for a a beautiful Vista or if you can just go into a Chipotle, what we see over and over again is people love to share a burrito or share a bowl. So if we if we can make people a little better Valentine Day, uh, why not? So uh, we're excited to to be a part of that with everybody. Well,
1: I, I I'm at the age now where I'm just happy to get the brisket. (laughs) (laughs)
6: <laughs> <laughs> that's well, right <Brian>. you know <laughs> you can go try that out we've got it we've got it get tested a couple of markets, i know so. i've got to go
1: to ohio i think that's brian nicholas the chairman ceo of chipotle with a monster great quarter thank you brian love it when you're on yeah thanks jim all right everybody's back here after the break
4: coming up Global with a chance to profit? This industrial giant reports and markets move. Kramer's got the CEO when Mad Money returns.
1: Why do we make these numbers from Carrier Global, the heating, ventilation, air conditioning company that I've liked for some time now. This morning, Carrier reported what was clearly a mixed quarter a revenue miss fueled by dealer destocking in their residential business, although they still delivered a modest earnings beat thanks to strong cost controls, and their full-year forecast was solid. That wasn't enough, though, to get the stock moving in the right direction. Instead, it pulled back about 3.5%, because Wall Street didn't like this residential heating, ventilation, and air conditioning shortfall, which I think is a temporary speed bump. See, I'm a little more sanguine about this one, though, because earlier today, Well, we got a chance to sit down with Dave Kidlin. He's the chairman and CEO of Carrier Global right here at New York Stock Exchange on their big day. I thought he told a darn good story. Take a look. Dave, since we talked last, we've got a remarkably new carrier, which I like as much as the old one. But it is what we call on Wall Street a cleaner story. So in, in the light of your day, tell us what the new carrier looks like.
7: The new carrier is focused all on sustainability. So we looked at our portfolio. We're shedding our fire and security business. We had a stationary refrigeration business. Shedding that will be a pure play, high growth HVAC, R company. HVAC with a transport refrigeration business with 100% of our portfolio focused on sustainability.
1: Okay, so uh, right now we have some weakness in residential, but office is very big. Are these just kind of a yin and a yang, or can they both be hot at the same time?
7: Well, we look at Resi last year. I think we kind of took our medicine last year. We were coming off a few great years. Resi for us was down last year. We're going to be coming off a low base as we go into next year. We think the destocking is fundamentally behind us. So we're looking at high single-digit growth in the Resi business for 2024. We look at commercial HVAC. There are same things that are enormously hot: data centers up 10x, healthcare continues to be strong. We look at higher ed strong, K through 12 strong. Commercial real estate is less weak than it was. It'll probably still be a little bit weak, but what's good is very
1: good. But you have to understand, those are mega trends that you're talking about. These are not cyclical businesses in commercial. These are secular businesses. They're not going to stop at the end of 2024. That's 100% right. And the biggest trend is
7: around sustainability. Like if 10 years ago, you were gonna bet on EVs, it would have been a great bet. There were 300,000 EVs 10 years ago. This last year is about 17 million, a 4,000% increase. And that's what we're seeing in our space. A fundamental shift from gas and oil powered heating for buildings shifting to heat pumps, which were all electric.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the acquisition in Europe, which is now closed. And I wanna be sure people understand that this is not something necessarily has to stay in Europe. This is real technology that you bought and you're keeping the key people. 100%. So 12,000 employees, welcome to the Carrier family.
7: It is the single best company in the space in Europe. Unquestionably, the best brand, best channel, best technology, best positioned company in Europe for this transition from gas and oil-powered heating for your homes to heat pumps. So the market, you know, it, legislation will move around a little bit. Fundamentally, the shift is unprecedented and significant.
1: Well, let's talk about that. Uh, in Germany, you got 24,000 euros a subsidy. They just cut it to 21,000. Now, you told us when this happened, you're going to... Come to expect that, Jim. But the fact is, is that still a huge amount of money? And does it matter? Will people not switch because they cut the subsidy?
7: No, overall, depending on the specific dollar value, the subsidy level is between 40 and 70%, depending on a bunch of factors. We're very pleased with the subsidy levels. The issue we had was we had about eight months of dithering on how the legislation was going to fundamentally play out. And that put a dampening effect on orders while people were waiting to understand what's the subsidy level. They finally finalized this legislation in January. What did we see right away? Heat pump applications went up in January for the first time in many months. The pre-order activity in the Wiesman website went up in January. The legislation's final 40 to 70% subsidy, so we feel very good about especially growth in the back half of the year. It just had a bit of a dulling effect for a few months in there.
1: Understood. Now let's talk about what heat pump is versus the standard and why it's so remarkable and that this could be something that would really help us with global warming a hundred percent if you picture your home you
7: have a gas furnace a heat pump is all electric so what's it's basically running your air conditioning in reverse so outside your home you have that split system instead of air conditioning that's blowing hot air out your home heat pumps blowing hot air in the home so it's a complete transition to electric heating and what we're seeing in europe is in your bathroom or your in your utility room you have a wall hung boiler that's either gas or oil powered All of that is going to transition to electric over time, and it all starts with the European Union framework. 55% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, 90% by 2040. You cannot get there without heat pumps, and they specifically call it out. Every country, France, Italy, Poland, they're all laddering up to the EU framework.
1: Now, I I thought of you today, Dave, because I knew I was going to see you. Um, What's going on in California? What's going on in Chile? Uh, What's going on in Florida? These are global warming and there may be politicians who want to dither about this, but a lot of us are heartsick and we realize that not enough is, uh, is being done. Your company is uniquely trying to stop this. There is a true ethos of this carrier, isn't there?
7: There is, that's part of our DNA. It's part of why we come to work every day as a team. So it was very, it still is very important to Max Wiesman, who's now joined our board. It's important to the 55,000, now 67,000 employees of carrier. We not only feel like we have an opportunity, we have an obligation to do good for future generations. And remember, Jim, that 40% of carbon emissions come from buildings and 40% of that from HVAC systems. So we are in a phenomenal position to make this world a better place for
1: generations that come after us. Now, I think a lot of people think, well, in the United States, what the heck are we doing? But you mentioned something interesting. You mentioned K-12. through So we do have some things going on right in this country.
7: Oh, yeah. K-12 through is unlike anything we've seen in many, many years because of the federal funding, this ESSER funding, which actually has to be spent over the course of the next year or so. Has to be spent. Has to be spent, at least allocated. So we're seeing K through 12, our orders were up 25% last year. We're seeing the highest growth we've seen in K through 12 in the history of our company. So we're seeing continuous double digit growth in K through 12, and that's gonna continue this year into next year. Not only are they investing in healthy indoor environments in the era, which is very important following COVID, but it's also very important because they're investing in sustainability.
1: All right. So one last question. Uh, yesterday, Caterpillar reported, and they talked about uh, data center, secular growth for cat. Eaton reported a week ago, data center, secular growth, vertive, secular growth. Your role in the data center? 100%, we're huge, we we're, we're provide all the cooling.
7: All that heat that's created in a data center has to be dissipated. And when you look at an AI chip, it's producing far more heat. So we're working on new technologies, liquid cooling, to provide better heat dissipation for data centers. So if you look at our business in North America, We have a higher percentage of our business going towards data centers than we do to commercial office buildings. So we are all in on data centers.
1: Okay, this is just a really important thing because we're going to revisit this over and over again. This is about not what's known as cyclical, where if the rates go up, rates go down, things go crazy. Secular means like this, that's long-term growth, and that's what we like to see. Dave Gitlin is the chairman and CEO of Carrier, the symbol C-A-R-R, on their big day. Thank you, Dave.
7: Thank you, sir.
4: Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next.
1: It is time for some of the lightning round. I'm going to tell you, of course, by the way, it's been a and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Let's to the light round. Let's start with David, New Jersey. David. Hey, how are you, Jim? Thanks for taking my call. Long time Absolutely. Fan. I've been buying Wolf Speed on the down. Nah, losing around. too much money. Second-rate player. Come on, we are stepping in the game. We are Palo Alto Network fans. I need to go to Joe Messers. It's Joe. How are you, Jim? Not bad. How about what you, Joe? I'm from Massachusetts, sir. like that. I like that. I love living up there. It's there for decades. It's fantastic. What's going on? Hey, I got a question for you. I've, I've been looking at this stock, and I've bought some of it all the time. But it, it's a uh, pollution uh, control company. It was started by Procter and Gamble several years back, and uh, it's called Pure Cycle technology, the, uh, technology. Oh yeah, I know it. They're not making any money. Look, we're, we, look, we're very simple people. We simply recommend WM, which I wish I never sold for the Travel Trust because it was just a rocket ship. Oh, all-time high. Let's go to Carol in Connecticut. Carol.
3: Booyah! Jim from Southbury, Connecticut. Thank you so much. Nothing
1: better than that. Nothing.
3: It's an honor to speak with you, and I've been wondering for so many years what you thought about. God, otter tail.
1: Otter oh, tail. otter tail. Otter tail. I mean, like Matt Horween, my writing party. sent me a new list. I said, will you look at this otter tail? Will you look at it? It's like an otter tail. I mean, like, you know, zoo. No, utility. Look at this thing. It's unbelievable. I say bye-bye-bye. Now we're going to Joshua in New Jersey. Joshua.
2: Hey Jim, booyah Jim,
1: booyah.
7: Um, I'm, I am i am a recent uh, investing club member,
0: and I was it's already making a killing to my portfolio. Yes. I'm,
1: I'm wondering about a stock in the energy service sector with the ticker LBRT. Very inexpensive stock. Don't really get it. The patch is just so hated right now. SOB's disliked. Hal's disliked. But you know what? This is a good company. I want you to stick with it, okay? And I don't mind the patch when the stocks are this cheap. Let's go to George in Virginia. George.
0: Good evening, Kramer. Thank you for continuing to share your knowledge with us. We really enjoy the
1: show. I ain't going anywhere. What's happening? My question is Palantir. Oh my God. Okay, so listen to me. Carp hates me. I really don't care. You know what? I don't. I don't care. I like what he did. I didn't understand exactly that one mention about like self fulfillment, but it really wasn't that. I will say they did have a blowout quarter. I like his bombastic nature. I am calling him officially right here, right now, the Dave Portnoy of cybersecurity. Wow. There's a statement. Let's go to Frank in New York, please. Frank. Booyah, Kim Kramer. We have How's it going? First time, long time. Proud First time, long Love time. it. Okay. Buy or sell? AVB, Avalon Bay. Buy. It. 3.94 yield. It's terrific. I like Simon Property more, uh, but I think Avalon Bay right here is done going down. That's a good. That's a gutsy call by me. I need to go to Gino in California. Gino. Say hi, Jim Cameron. Hey. You know, like I'm a great fan of yours. I watch your a lot of videos and I
0: learn a lot from your videos and Thank you. uh, I'm still learning. And uh, I, I
1: invested in one of the stock uh, ticker symbol, HLF, horrible Life.
3: And no, no, we got to gotta step
1: up our game. We got to step up our game. Not good enough. We don't want that. Let's, let's take high quality. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, China's big swagger is looking more like a stumble. Kramer breaks down what it means for your money next.
1: Look, China's a disaster, plain and simple. We struggle to believe it because until a few years ago, the Chinese had arguably the best economy on Earth. For decades, it was the great driver of global growth. China is an authoritarian dictatorship that can get things done, even if they need to shoot a few executives in the process. America, on the other hand, is impaired by rules and regulations and due process, with a sense of ennui and maled is coming from our ineffectual government. That's a perception. But in reality, i take our economy over China's any day of the week. And right now, I bet many Chinese people would agree with me. What's wrong with the PRC's great growth story? I think there's a rot in China, a rot that stems from a false sense of confidence in their all-knowing president for life. Don't get me wrong. The People's Republic of China has uplifted hundreds of millions of people out of poverty since the early 80s. You have to applaud the transformation. But that skein has run out. It's over. Right now, the Chinese government has refused to embrace basic Keynesian economics. I'm not talking about anything controversial. Just basic macro 101 they got an alien economy, and in that situation, the government's supposed to spend, spend, spend. Even if they're just throwing money at people. While the Communist Party has cut the reserve rate by 50 basis points, they aren't providing new capital to those who are fighting to keep their jobs as foreign investment dries up. You might think it'd be a good time for American companies to expand in China, but the country hasn't changed any of its onerous rules that exist to protect their own companies from foreign competition. To put it charitably, who wants to invest with harsh conditions and crony JVs that steal your IP when there are so many other countries that are eager to do your business? How bad are things over there? All right, consider what's happened in our charitable trust portfolio. Get this. First, the retreat from the Apple iPhone this quarter led to an estimate cut last week. (sighs) A slowdown in sales for Estee Lauder resulted in multiple estimate cuts and billions in market cap loss. Starbucks was crushed by competition and a weaker Chinese consumer It's way off its highs. Danera had a big inventory overhang in China that is just now being worked off. Lindy saw slowing sales, one of the few weak spots for industrial gas in the entire globe. DuPont got hit terribly in China, which helped cause one of the worst pre-announcements of the year. And VIDI has a ton of business in China, but the lucrative orders could be over because of export restrictions imposed by our government, because we don't trust China to uh, give the NVIDIA cards to the military. We think that's what they're going to do. We sold some Procter & Gamble today to right-size position. Why? China. Can't chance it. It is a never-ending source of pain for American companies. What's the Chinese government's response right now? Simple. Manipulate the stock market higher to get rid of the ugly stain of the averages. 2015-2016, when China had a bear market... They made it very difficult to sell by actually hounding the sellers. Looks like they may be follow the same playbook. It's a short-term band-aid, but long-term, the market has done nothing since they started manipulating it. It's a matter of government policy. That said, if China put draconian pressure on the sellers, then their market will definitely get a short-term bounce. And if it, it did the last time, if the government gives them the go-ahead to sell, maybe they can actually put some of that newly created capital into something other than empty apartment complexes and this time. Still, understand, China is not what you think it is. The regime wants to be all powerful, but increasingly we're realizing we gave them the power. Whether you think it's time to take it back or not, so many companies made their bed with China that it's embedded into our supply chain. Until it's rooted out, the pain is not over. The Chinese government simply doesn't have the horses to do more than save their stock market. And I bet it will be saved, making the big stocks there good trades. Just remember though, they're poor investments. And that's what they'll be until the Chinese Communist Party figures out how to manage a modern capitalist economy. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last Call starts now.
5: Te presentamos a la familia Rubio. Ellos hacen todo en familia.
3: Rompecabezas, viajes a Walmart, ejercicios, cocinamos, todo.
5: Y cuando supieron que la farmacia de Walmart tiene vacunas para todas las edades, desde HPV hasta neumonía,
3: pues nos fuimos en familia a vacunarnos. Y de una vez hicimos nuestras compras. Like, obvio, Abu.
5: (risa) Protege a tu familia con vacunas para todos. Haz una cita hoy con los farmacéuticos expertos de Walmart Pharmacy. Bienvenido a una farmacia más simple. Bienvenido a tu Walmart. Sujetas a disponibilidad y ley estatal aplicable. Se aplican restricciones según la edad, pregúntale a tu farmacéutico por detalles.